Let's talk about the French Dispatch. Full title of this, I think, is the French Dispatch of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun. Uh, if you you could probably already tell by the title of the movie. Oh, is this a Wes Anderson movie? And you'd be right. This is the tenth film by Wes Anderson, as you already mentioned at the top of the show. Yeah, it probably is, the mm-hmm. most Wes Anderson movie we've gotten to date. I have to uh, say, right. I've heard other people say that, but I don't know. I don't know. I think you think uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox is more Wes Anderson. No, no, actually, no. I wouldn't say that. I'd say it's between Life Aquatic and maybe I'd, I'd have to really think about it. I mean, it, but yeah, I, I think Life Aquatic is probably the most divisive, but I don't know if it's the most Wes Anderson film. I've heard but, some people say Bottle Rocket is. Again, I've never seen Bottle Rocket's yeah. the one Wes Anderson I have not seen. Actually, yeah, same here. That's the only one of his I haven't seen. Right. Yeah. And I, I like all of his movies. Like, there's not a single one of his movies where I'm like, that was not worth the time I put into it. Like, That's never happened with me before. But I, that's not to say that I love all of these. There's a couple that I love. There's a bunch that I like. And the last one that I loved was Moonrise Kingdom. And I think a lot of people, though, they'll say the last one they loved was Grand Budapest Hotel. That was a big hit. Yes, I'm with critics a big and fans. fan. Big fan of Grand Budapest. I think it's it's in between like and love for me. I really like it, it but it's not. Yeah, it's not a movie See, that I I look back I f- and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. See, that's how I feel about Moonrise Kingdom. Like, I like Moonrise ah. Kingdom, but it's not like my favorite <laughs> Wes Anderson film. Funny. That's funny how that works. Yeah, yeah. But th- that's the thing. It's like with Wes Anderson, he is such a specific filmmaker. He has such a specific style or series of styles. People know him for certain things. But when you look at it, like his movies tend to be very different. They, they, you know what I mean? Like they employ a lot of the same things, but they do so many different things that. I think his movies do sort of reflect a spectrum of taste. So I, yeah. I talk to people and like my favorite, like some people is like my favorite is fantastic. Mr. Fox, my favorite is grand Budapest. Mm-hmm. You might meet somebody on the street. Who's like Darjeeling limited. And you're like, uh, oh, okay. And you kind of like, walk I actually away from really them. like Darjeeling limited. Um, it's yeah, just a funny I, one to I, pick I, as your favorite. That's all right. Saying. As your favorite, that'd be an odd choice. I have to, admit. <laughs> yeah. I would actually be genuinely concerned if that's someone's favorite <laughs> picks. Like they might be not doing great. <laughs> Your favorite Wes Anderson movie does say a lot about you, I think. I think it says a lot yeah. about your film taste, what you look for in a story. Like I, right. when I meet people who are like, my favorite is Rushmore. That says a lot to me about like, yeah, like I could I could see why Rushmore hit you. You probably watched it at the right time. You probably watched it when you were a college. teenager, college. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'd say young teenager, you know, like 19, 18. Yeah, I mean, I saw it. I saw as a teenager. That is my second favorite Wes Anderson film. My, you told me which one's your favorite, but I forget. My personally is uh, uh, Wes, or not. Well, I don't even know what I was trying to say. My favorite is Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, man. Yeah. Royal Tenenbaums. It, it kind of comes up for me sometimes. I'm like, oh, is Royal Tenenbaums my favorite or is it Moonrise Kingdom? Yeah, it's tough. I, Isle of Dogs was his last movie. And that was his return to stop motion animation. He had, yeah. of course, done Fantastic Mr. Fox, which a lot of people really loved. I, I like Fantastic Mr. Fox. Good movie. I know you really like Fantastic Mr. Fox, right? Yes, I love Fantastic Mr. Fox, my third favorite of his. Um, like those three, I just think are just wonderful films. I really, really like Royal Tenenbaums. I really like Rushmore, and I really like Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I mean, the other ones I have enjoyed to various extents. The only one I'm kind of iffy on is Life Aquatic, but I think I, think I just need to rewatch it. I just I don't think I really got it at the time, but um, yeah, I mean, I think I think like you said before, he just has a 
um, you know, a, a style that borrows a lot from other people, but it feels so singular to him and it's so identifiable, but it also is uh, accessible in a way that I think a lot of other filmmakers who are idiosyncratic in these respects uh, can't really be for some reason or another. But um, yeah, I think he his style has been mimicked a lot, but I don't think anyone's quite got it the right way it, that he's that he has gotten in his films. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, even as the films have gotten more fanciful, I think the core components of what makes the films great have remained in in the, the his work. So, yeah, I like his stuff a lot. I, I really do, too. And I think it, it's tough to pick. Like, sometimes you got to look at his movies and if you're like recommending like, OK, you've never seen Wes Anderson. What do you start with? Because some of his movies are more accessible than others. Others are like you probably should watch a few before you get to this, because it might be like trying to drink scotch before you've ever had a beer, if that makes yes. any sense. Yeah, I would not. uh, I would say if if you've never seen a Wes Anderson film, probably don't start with French Dispatch because it is. I could see somebody getting into it, but yeah, I'm not sure like what that would be like. I mean, so this is probably the one that borrows the most from like kind of like absurdist, like Mel Brooksy kind of comedy. So I can I understand where you're coming from, but at the same time, it it is so Wes Anderson y, like even beyond like Owl of Dogs and Moonrise Kingdom and the other films we mentioned, that I, I feel like it would be a harder sell for someone who is not already subscribed to his brand and his style of filmmaking. They're not already subscribed to his dispatch. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I deserve that silence. Sure. <laughs> Right. So Wes Anderson, we can we can safely say we're fans of his work by and large. And with the French Dispatch and and, and I, by the way, I am excited that this is technically the first time you and I are really getting in on a Wes Anderson film, yeah. because when Isle of Dogs came out, we were doing Cinemaholics. It was a thing. Mm-hmm. However, you were not on the show for, for believe, that movie. Yeah, I think that's the first one of our conversations I missed. And I remember being disappointed, but I had forgotten until you reminded me that I was not yeah. actually in that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I I know you mentioned like what you thought about Isle of, Dog, Isle of Dogs later on, like you came back on the show and you're like, Hey, I'm back. And then, you know, you were like, okay, here's what I thought. But I talked about Isle of Dogs with Maverick Hines, former co-host of the show. And we both liked it quite a bit. And I, I think I've, I've soured on the film a little bit in, in the waning years. I kind of look back on it and I like that movie, but I definitely like, it's funny because I re-listened to the conversation of that one as well. And Maverick and I, we talked a lot about like the backlash and the discourse around this movie. Oh, simpler times <laughs> in terms of, you know, there, there was um, some negative reaction to how this movie was handling Japanese uh, appropriation and stuff like that. It's, it's not our best conversation in terms of like what you get out of it. But in terms of like the movie itself, I think that I, I still look back and I'm like, man, it's so cool that that movie exists and that he was able to make it. And it's such an original idea. All that stuff was really, really smart and fun to see and, and clever too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think my expectations for it were maybe a little too high. Um, I, I put it on the lower end of his filmography just because I think it's it's good. I enjoy it, but it just it doesn't scratch the same itch that I think his other better films get. So uh, that's just me, though. I think I think that's where I land too. I think when I first saw it, I I was really over the moon about it. Or not over the moon, but I was I was much more positive on it than I am now. And yeah, I think I think part of that too was like the expectations playing a little bit of a game there as well. French Dispatch, I don't think that same thing's going to happen. I, I came out of this one really digging it, and that has not waned at all yet. So this movie is a little bit more of an anthology. It's not a total anthology. And so when we, if you don't know, an anthology, we're just saying that it's 
bunch of stories in one. It's not, and they're all sort of like disconnected. They're not the same, you know, they don't have the same actors. They're, they're kind of like just a group of short stories in one movie Mm -hmm. that said it's, also threading all of these in an overarching fourth narrative where Bill Murray is the head editor of this. It's hard. I don't fully understand this to be totally honest. That's something that I actually kind of like. It's an insert. It's a newspaper based in France, but it's a Kansas newspaper. But it's funny to me about I know it's so weird, but again, yeah, it's, it's so quirky. Uh, but it's about this fictional town called Ennui Blase or something to that effect. So literally like boredom, <laughs> the city. Yeah. And a uh, really funny title there. We get all the typical Wes Anderson fixings where we explore Ennui in a, a hyper analog 1975 fashion where there, if, if, the, the technology is very pastel. Uh, where we spend a lot of time with characters like in perfectly symmetrical production, these staged sets going about their business and living their lives. And we, that's kind of like where this movie starts and the French dispatch itself, it tracks along Bill Murray's character who he has this team of writers and editors who are putting together what will eventually be the final issue of this. Basically it's the New Yorker, but somewhere in uh france that's kind of what they're doing it has like the cartoony stuff it has the personal essays it has the sort of like lifestyle stuff Uh, it it has like a tastes and sounds section that turns into this like very highfalutin you know set piece story there's a whole testament a whole tribute to a an artist who i i i i I want to be careful because I don't want to get into too much detail of like what the actual stories are. So maybe we ease into that a little bit more, but there are different storylines that are parts of this magazine brought to life. So that's where the anthology part kicks in. The cast is huge. We have Bill Murray has already mentioned Elizabeth Moss. She has a very sm- a smaller role in this than I thought she would. Uh, Tilda Swinton, Francis, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, two movies in one week. So that's funny. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, who I think is one of the film's MVPs. We also have Adrian oh, sure. Brody, uh, oh, Benicio yeah. Del Toro, Lea Seydoux, a bunch of mm-hmm. others. But yeah, <laughs> this movie is so over the top. I really, really dug it. I, this is one of the Wes Anderson movies I love. Like I unbelievably love i can't stop thinking about it i'm so anxious to see it again i think it just made me feel like a writer again i I felt like man when you really write something and you you put your heart into it and like this is when i think of like stories that i write this is this is what i want to imagine right i don't know how accessible this movie is as we've already kind of alluded to (laughs) because it's so specific but again i i really like when things are specific because they can just sort of shine on their own merit. They're, it's not trying to be everything for everybody. And that's something that I like about it. But what do you think, Will? I have no idea what you think of the French Dispatch. You've known for a while. You went into this movie knowing that I really dug it. So I, I right. hope that I did not paint your expectations too high. Well, I mean, you were very warm on the film, but I knew comparatively this was getting kind of a, a more muted response, at least by like Wes Anderson standards. Like I knew it was getting good notices, but like other people were kind of like, I don't know, like, like people who were already kind of on the fence about Wes Anderson were not being swayed by this film. I'll put it that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think because my expectations were more in check, I really appreciate this movie a lot. And I, I liked it a lot, maybe not 
quite on the same level as you because you seem to be very, very high on it. But uh, certainly I think I'm I'm very receptive, very warm to the film in a way that I find it kind of odd that people are saying it's cold. Um, I Because I do think it's earnest enthusiasm for, like you said, writing and literature and The New Yorker and uh, uh, just – um, writing in general, like I said, um, I think is, is very apparent and very sweet. I think people are just a little put off by how comparatively slight it is. Like it's obviously a lot frothier than his other films. But with that said, I think something that Wes Anderson has in his movies that his imitators to various extents, I, I think don't have is that all of his movies are very goofy and uh, lighthearted in many respects and kind of, you know, over the top in many different ways, but they have an under underlying melancholy that is apparent either through the characters or the tone in a way that um, I feel like most of his movies or at least better films focus on kind of like old guards of their profession who find themselves, uh, mostly uneased by the fact that like their their way is going out the window and that the world that they know as they know it is no longer being what they want it to be and they're kind of wrestling with that that sense of uh, inadequacy or whatever you want to have it and i mean i think that's very personal to wes anderson i mean certainly a lot of films i think even by just design like i think the fact that he makes movies the way he does because like he just likes everything to be very symmetrical and this is how he wants the world to be where everything kind of like fits into a neat box and everyone kind of moves in certain ways and all that and uh yeah i mean obviously with uh bill murray's character i think that's the the main key here is that like you know obviously in a very literal way like he is uh moving on like his way of uh writing or approaching literature is uh going out the window and obviously this publication is going under for that reason and uh so like i mean there is that underlying melancholy i think the fact that it is an anthology film prevents it from having uh, a deep thorough line but at the same time i think that is still there in a way that it didn't feel disconnected as some people i think have suggested i do think the the overarching story of it is pretty affecting in a sweet way but i don't think i find myself as uh intensely move as I do compared to like Royal Tenenbaums Bonds or Rushmore or Fantastic Mr. Fox. But at the same time, I mean, like uh, a movie of Wes Anderson's that I really, really like, if not like Over the Moon Love is still like one of the best films of the year, just be, especially this year, <laughs> because I mean, like it's just such a, a breath of fresh air to see a Wes Anderson movie like this, where it's so clear and confident style, like maybe more so than ever. It just feels like Wes Anderson knows exactly what he wants in a movie, like what he wants to frame, how he wants things to look, how things are supposed to be presented in a way that can feel maybe like almost suffocating, like in the sense that like, I kind of wish the messiness of the characters that were seen in Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums would come back to him. Like, I, I feel like everything is maybe almost a little too precise at this point, but at the same time, I don't really want him to change his style. Cause I really enjoy seeing films like this that are so at peace with his vision and so clearly coming from his mind. So uh, despite any criticisms I have, I really did enjoy this a lot, and I was very glad to see, especially in an underwhelming movie year such as this one. I'd say that criticism about the characters is true for some, but not all. I'd say that Benicio del Toro's character, who is this asylum painter, yeah, and- who is uh, he's great, and I like that he like stands out because like the way yeah. that Benicio del Toro approaches his character is so clearly different than how like the Wes Anderson regulars approach it in a way that's really really refreshing. I find. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And also Francis McDormand. I, I think those are the two and Jeffrey Wright. Those are the yeah, I was going to say Jeffrey Wright was the big one. And he's uh, kind of doing a James Baldwin. Yeah. 
Sure. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're sort of doing the James Baldwin thing with him and it, it's really affecting. Um, he gets like a couple of monologues in this that are like profound. He's a person who like remembers everything he's ever written. And like, that's where the precise thing comes in. I was getting Rushmore vibes a little bit when those three characters were kind of in play, not specifically mm-hmm. like a character in Rushmore was like them, but in terms of like how he approaches a character and better balances the, the sort of like precision that you're talking you're saying, about with like a quirky. Yeah. Yeah. If Max actually had his shit together, basically. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Yeah. He would, he would basically be, uh, I don't know who he would be in this. I guess Jeffrey Wright, but, uh, that's the thing is like, you can't really boil down any Wes Anderson character to just, that's why he can reuse characters as often as he does because he's so good at writing that I think you don't see actors. those other characters. Yeah. Uh, yeah actors. Reuse, thank I you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can, he can reuse other actors, the same actors in so many films. Like we've, like a lot of people in this movie have never been in a Wes Anderson film, but uh, many of them have Bill Murray, obviously Adrian Brody. And uh, obviously uh, I'm, I'm blanking, but uh, Saoirse Ronan uh, shows up in this. Yeah. Owen Wilson gets a, a fun little, just like a quick thing in here. Jason yeah. Schwartzman uh, gets like a, not a lot in this movie. He's but basically a cameo, so. but he helped yeah, write the yeah. screenplay. So obviously he had a big part in this. He, he Yeah, the screenplay is fully credited Wes Anderson, but he helped with the story along with uh, Roman Coppola and Hugo Guinness, Hugo Guinness. But yeah, so all that said, I came out of this movie. It's so funny that people look at it and, and are saying that it's cold. I've seen some of that reaction as well. I do agree. It's not like the movie has like one punch. Like it's not the kind of thing where because it's an anthology, it can't. It just has like small like punches over time and i i remember watched i remember coming out of the movie and thinking this is one of those things where it really is going to depend on how much people like the the differing short stories that's what makes it kind of a risky movie because if you don't like enough of them then your mind will wander and it, it will go into too many directions and i would see that it's so weird because I almost say that the middle section, which is that's where Chalamet and McDormand are. That was probably my least favorite, but it was my favorite in terms of music. I think my all around favorite was the asylum one. And then the one that Uh, had the most interesting like ending was the third one with Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the Jeffrey Wright one was my personal favorite, but the Benicio del Toro one is shortly thereafter. Um, yeah, I agree. I think most people have said that the Timothy Chalamet one is probably the weakest of the three or four, if you want to count the Owen Wilson one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think my only, the the main reason I felt the, uh, the Timothy Chalamet one was a little bit weaker is for one, it goes on longer, which is deliberate. Like, I mean, there's a big joke about how France McDormand overwrites and like overcorrects herself and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But also I just feel like, I think that that segment would have been really interesting if Wes Anderson had more to say politically in that. And I felt like he really didn't. I think he was just kind of commenting more on the like absurdity of like these young people being so politically active and using like a literal like chess game, which is a fun set piece. But like I just felt like his political commentary in there wasn't really like striking or like pointed in any particular respect. Uh, Do you disagree with that, though? I, I don't disagree at all. I, I, yeah, I think I think that it's it's the weaker one. But I think where it still pulled me in was ah, the musical cues. I don't think Wes Anderson gets enough like credit, honestly, for how good how good his music tastes are. And I, I mean, I know the, the the music itself is by Alexander Desplat, but just in terms of his movies 
on a whole tend to have just really good sounds, like really good tunes kind of filling in the blanks. And this, this was one of my favorites in that respect. I think that it's, it's, it, there's a cue in this involving like a jukebox and like the stage opening up. I'm like, ah, you know, like I, that's when I'm feeling this movie's vibe in like every possible way. But compared yeah. to the other ones though, it, it does sort of like fall a little bit short. Although seeing Timothy Chalamet and Francis McDormand kind of do their thing together was I'll, I'll admit like that, that kept me, that kept me interested. That kept my, uh, that kept my mind from wandering off. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I, as far as like the soundtrack thing, I have to agree as well, because I just imagine every time like there's a song cue, I just imagine Wes Anderson and his like twee button down suit, just going to his big vinyl collection of like, yeah, uh, yeah. Ruppled like '80s vinyls and just being like, "Nah, this one, uh, I don't." Too mainstream. And he just picks one. It's just like perfect, and he just puts it on his little like old timey <laughs> vinyl player, and he's just like snapping his fingers, just like that's the tune. <laughs> that's the thing is like just you describing that. He's just such an infectious person. The things that he finds interesting are so different from what other people find interesting. But right. he's just that interesting person that makes you like the thing that he likes. I feel well, like yeah, that's what I mean, he tries to do with his movies. Yeah, like I said before, like, you know, like some filmmakers, like they have a certain tone in their films and then you like see them in real life. And it's just like, oh, that's like totally different. Like someone like like John Waters, just like he makes like these kind of grummy, dingy movies, but he's like very posh and like well put together and all that and speaks eloquently and all that. And then you have Mm -hmm. somebody like Wes Anderson or Tim Burton, where you just look at him just like, yeah, you look like you exist in your own movies. (laughs) And like Wes Anderson, yeah, I think like the way I see is just like I think he wants he wants to live in his world. Like, I think he wants the way he makes his movies. I think the Kias wants that to be the way the world is. And he's almost sort of frustrated. It's just like, why can't things be like this? I want things to be like this. Exactly. It's like, he has this very meticulous dollhouse where he just like, he lives in that world and he's thankfully able to project that onto millions of screens and, uh, you know, get a lot of people to enjoy it as well. But yeah, I mean, it just kind of feels like he is, he sees the world in a very, uh, asymmetrical way, but a very precise and and delicate sort of way at the same time. And I, I certainly enjoy living in his weird little headspace. Yeah, that, that's a big reason why I think there is a learning curve to his movies. Because if you go into one of his movies not understanding that he's a fantasy writer, like he's writing fantasies, then you might be like, this is so weird. This is not how the world is. You might have an adverse reaction because you're expecting something else. But if you start with something like, I'd, I'd say like one of his stop motion ones, it's probably a good one to start with. Rushmore is a good one to start with. You get hints that he's operating in his own, like you said, dollhouse or sandbox, whatever you want to call it. And he's not trying to present the world as it is. I think it's exactly what you said. He's trying to present the world as he wishes it was. And it's easy, at least for me, to want to be in that world. And because we only get a movie from him every so often, it's it's like I get to go on a new vacation to a new place that is like this other place that I really like. Because it's, it's so hard to describe. It's like there's a new exhibit at the Wes Anderson Amusement Park. It's probably like an old-timey carnival. And uh, Yeah, more you know, like I'm, a yeah. museum exhibit or something. Just kind of just like, oh, what is this artist doing now? Oh, okay, that's, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> that's fitting uh, considering Del Toro is a... Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly, movie. yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I think we can't say enough about how sharp the writing is in this movie. I mean, it's just the dialogue, the the quips, uh, the precision of the narration. It's much stronger, I think, than in Isle of Dogs. There are quotes I actually remember in this one a little bit more profoundly. And there, yeah, I, I, like for example, like I think the big one for me is like Bill Murray's is like just try to make it seem like you wrote that on purpose. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's such a great line. I, there's lines like that all over the place. You can tell, like me, I was an active participant in this movie. I was laughing, you know, uh, after the screening the publicist was like what do you think i was like you sat like right next to me you yeah. know what i thought of this movie <laughs> i couldn't it'd be stop funny laughing. though if you were just like yeah it was okay i guess <laughs> yeah yeah it could have been could have been funnier <laughs> but yeah but uh, French dispatch. yeah good movie right well i mean to your point about the writing i think it like this film especially it like the writing had to be so meticulously combed over because i'd be the, the the key you know takeaway because it's such a film about writers like if the writing wasn't up to snuff then like what are we doing here uh for sure but for yeah sure. i think for me my big thing is i made this joke already on letterbox but uh i think i like to think wes anderson's approach to this movie is just like what if a new yorker cartoon was funny <laughs> like that's like <laughs> my takeaway and i i think he succeeded i think it's a very fun you know clearly so indebted to new yorker but like you said also clearly loving and respecting of other famous authors and writers from you know either uh wes anderson's past or just in literature in general and yeah it's just i can see why people are um you know down as far as like it's not as mostly gratifying i think as it's other films just because it's not really trying to be but I, I don't think it's cold in any respect i think it's very lovingly put together i, I don't think wes anderson ever remotely even half-asses a film like he clearly puts everything he has into making everything exactly right and maybe that uh can be a little too much at times like i said i kind of missed the, the messiness of his uh earlier films it's just in terms of like having characters who were a little bit uh more unlikable or a little bit more hard to decipher but um yeah i think he he's just really on top of his game as far as like making the movies he wants to make and knowing his style and knowing how to get his style down and playing with styles and tones and aspect ratios and animation versus live action and just it's yeah you just get a wallop of good stuff in here and i and i, yeah, I yeah. find it hard if you're a wes anderson f- fan to walk away disappointed at least fully a bit of a warning this is not for kids. <laughs> there is, there is, uh, and, and parts of it for sure would be fine for kids, but uh, a lot of it actually. But there are a couple of scenes uh, involved, one of them involving Leia Sadu that if you are younger than like 15, probably, uh, I don't know. I don't know how, how parents do. I, I was watching I R rated movies when I was like 10 or 12. So like, I, what? I know we were, but I want to be sensitive. Like, not all kids do that. So I, I don't know. I, I have a, a nephew around that age, and I would not want him to watch this movie, unfortunately. Sure. I mean, I, if you have young, young kids, I mean, I think Fantastic Mr. Fox in general is just a good intro. If you just like, if you want sure. to know, like, if you're, if you have no familiarity with Wes Anderson, just like, where do I begin? I think Royal Tenenbaums and like you said, Rushmore are great as starting points. But also I think if you're younger and just want something more accessible or something that, you know, you can watch with the whole family, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox is a great starting point. Yeah. And then you can move into Moonrise Kingdom. I think that one's, that one's a good one too. Yeah. For, yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's a good for you know, one too. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so that's it. I, I don't, I don't want to leave French dispatch without getting into one of the most important things about the movie, I thought, which is that, so I'm watching this movie and I'm thinking to myself, all right, do I, do I love this movie because it's set 
primarily in a time that I'm very fond of and it's about things that I'm very fond of? Or is it because it's just sort of like, let, let me put it this way. I'm, I, I want to make sure I say this without giving anything away. Is the reason I've had issues with Wes Anderson films in the past because they've been too long with these characters. Like, is is the reason that Fantastic Mr. Fox doesn't do it for me as much, is it because it's just like the same characters over one movie? And do I like French Dispatch more because they're short stories? So like, does it work better for me with Wes Anderson when it's just sort of a little bit of each thing instead of like overstaying its welcome? Does that make sense? Because I like Wes Anderson a lot, but I think a thing that I've noticed in all of his movies for me has been at some point, I always feel like I've, I've had enough. Like I've, I've eaten, it's a delicious meal, but I've gotten too much. Sure. Whereas with French Dispatch, there's such a variety. They're, they're like self-contained stories that I just go from one to one and I'd never felt overwhelmed, if that makes sense. But it seems to me like other people are feeling overwhelmed. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm somewhere in between in that I, I get what you're saying. I think in some respects, I agree. But at the same time, I think because it's so overloaded with like characters and stories and all that, I, I think I was a little bit more overwhelmed than I was with, say, like Grand Budapest Hotel. But um, at the same time, I mean, that's not a negative. I think it, it, it knows when to get in and get out. So, like as far as like it doesn't overstay its welcome as far as being like 100 something minutes. And, you know, by the end of it, I was really taken by and I would glad I watched like another 10 or 20 minutes of it. But um, yeah, for me, I guess the the film, I, I guess this is the easiest for me to compare it to is The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which uh, the Coen brothers did for Netflix a few years back. Oh, yeah. Uh, back, um, yeah, because just like for me, like I don't think The Ballad of Buster Scruggs is like a top 10 Coen brothers film or maybe at least not a top five Coen brothers film. But it, I really, really like it a lot because it just has everything I want in a Coen Brothers film in one film. And if I just like want to like see like the essence of Coen Brothers' greatness in one film, uh, I would just watch that film, you know, just because I think it's accessible and obviously, you know, it's segmented so I can break it off and chew it in different little segments. But um, I don't know if I'm as hot on French Dispatch, but I think I like it for the same reasons because – you know, because it's an anthology film, you just get like everything I you want from a Wes Anderson film. Maybe uh, if it had a little bit more stop motion, I would be happier. But, you know, that's not here nor there. There is some stop motion here throughout. There's but, 2D uh, animation, which I right. was thrilled by. Oh, yeah. So lovely. Right. Uh, I, I love that wrestler character, by the way, without giving away too much. That, that joke <laughs> got me really, really well. <laughs> yeah. Um, But uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's just basically everything you want in a Wes Anderson movie. I mean, maybe not every everything, but like a lot of the stuff you want from a Wes Anderson movie. And uh, like I said, I think if you're a hardcore fan, you're not going to walk away disappointed because it's just it's just a lot of Wes Anderson in a little package. And uh, yeah, it's that's good enough for me. True enough. True enough. Yeah, I think we agree more than we disagree. I just think I have stronger uh, I have a stronger of the same feelings almost. And uh, it sounds like yeah. we share similar uh, criticisms as well. So, yeah, we're not too far off. It sounds like I think you just got more of like an emotional response from it, whereas it's like I was just like, yeah. that was delightful. That was really fun. And I, I don't think I've been like thinking about it as much. But yeah, I just I, I really enjoyed the experience of my time watching and I would gladly watch it again. Same here. Let's play our game. French Dispatch, guess the Rotten Tomatoes score. So, Will Ashton, your job is to guess the Rotten Tomatoes score. There have only been 165 reviews counted, half that of Dune. Uh, but, of course, it doesn't hit wide release until later this week, so we won't even be able to do Cinema Score because there isn't one yet. But we can do the tomato meter 
the day we record this as it is right now, although it's been pretty steady. Uh, did you ever see the critic score, though, before this? Um, no, I don't think so. Actually, I might have glanced at once. Okay. Well, what's I know your guess? What do you think? I know it's a bit low, but not like super low. Like, I, I know it's below 80%. Um, but I think it's like, I'm going to guess like 76%. 74. So okay, 74. Very okay. close. Yeah, within two points. That's within the margin of error. So 74% on Rotten Tomatoes out of 165 reviews. Hey, look, one of those, rev- one of those reviews is from me, and I said it was positive. Uh, it was the same thing with Dune, too, but I mean, there were so many reviews counted for that. It barely had any impact. But what about the audience score? This would be, if I was doing this, I would, I would struggle because I, I never know what audiences are going to think of us Anderson movies. That always surprises me. But yeah. we have fifty, we only have fifty plus verified ratings, so we have to. So yeah, yeah, I'll let you do the math on that because there's a lot to consider here, isn't there? I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I I did remember when I first saw Moonrise Kingdom, I was kind of just like, I mean, I like this a good bit, but I don't know how other people are going to feel. And I remember like the overwhelming consensus was like way more positive than I was. And I was just like, well, uh, not ex- what I expected. But um, for this one, like I said, I, it's not like it's an acquired taste. I just think like the fans of Wes Anderson will like it a lot. But I think if people are kind of fed up with Wes Anderson or if you're, you're kind of getting tired of his, his style, I, I think, you know, I, some people aren't going to be quite as uh, receptive to it. So I'm going to say 68%. It is 80%. It's a little bit higher. And I think it's because it's in limited release. I think a lot of the people who are coming out to see this are liking what they're seeing, right? LA crowd, I got you. Exactly. That's why I almost said that too. I was like, whoa, I shouldn't shouldn't be helping. I can't give you hints. I have to be partial and objective. But I have a feeling it's going to, to your point. Like, I think you're right. I think once this hits wide release and more people are going to watch it, particularly people in Kansas, I think they're going to watch it and be like, the heck is this? And be kind of yeah. a little, who knows though? I, I hope that's not the case. I would love for this to be a, a resounding hit. Do you remember though, what Isle of Dogs was Rotten Tomato score wise? Kind of um, fascinating. Like right now or at the time? Right now. Right now. Which is pretty similar to what it was at the time. Is it like 82%? Much higher. It's 90%. Oh, 90%. 87% audience score. So See, I would I would probably flip uh French's patch and Isle of Dogs their their scores if I were well, if I were me. That's the thing. It's like, well, can we really I mean it, it really does come down to people it, it really is just capturing like people who had like a positive reaction. I think with Isle of Dogs, it's not, I don't think the average rating is probably that high. I don't think a lot of people came out of Isle of Dogs being like, that was amazing. But enough people were like, that was cool. Like I would be positive on it. Whereas the French Dispatch, I think some people are being like, I'm sick of Wes Anderson. I'm sick of you. You know, like that kind of thing. Sure. But I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we didn't really even talk about how like the like Jock Tati influence of his films are kind of becoming more and more apparent. I don't know. I don't remember what exactly the response was at the time. He's been living films, in France, right? I, I have to assume so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, that, that, that sounds like yeah. what, something like Wes Anderson's <laughs> doing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know this for sure, but it sounds correct. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, would, yeah. I didn't even bat an eye. I'm just like, I'm that, that sounds a hundred percent correct. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And that's why he, you know, he has another film that's already, uh, in the works too. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, gonna, filming. Yeah. It's filming right now in Shinshona in Spain. So I think that's, uh, it's that supposed could be to be dicey compared to, you know, how he's appropriated, uh, other countries, but we'll see. 
for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I've heard that this movie, I think it's, it's a little easier with European countries, but yeah, especially yeah, that's fair. That's Spaniards. Fair. But, um, I've heard that this movie, like if you ever played the game Monument Valley or you're aware of the like art direction, it's like a diorama kind of game. That yeah. is apparently what this is supposed to be. So who knows how it will turn out? I hope it's going to be good. I think it's called um, Asteroid City. OK, I didn't know if it had a title yet. Um, I know it was that recently confirmed. Yeah. yeah, I know he's got some new. I think Tilt Swin's like the lead of it. And I, I, I know obviously like Bill Murray is involved, but uh, I believe it's going to be the the introduction to Margot Robbie and uh, Tom Hanks being in a Wes Anderson oh, film. Oh, that would be fantastic. So love, I'm definitely I'd excited to see those two. Yeah. Yeah, I hope that's the case. But all right. That is The French Dispatch. It is in limited release right now. You can check it out in theaters. We're going wide later this week through Searchlight Pictures. It's kind of weird to think that this is that Wes Anderson is under the Disney umbrella for this but yeah what are you gonna do the movie is just 103 minutes long pretty quick runtime and it, it's a lowish budget 25 million it's like on the low side of mid-size but i don't know about the box office but that's fine wes anderson is box office proof like they're they'll just keep um, making movies for him it doesn't really matter at this point maybe down the road I, it might, but yeah i think this one's going to underperform slightly because well for one i mean it, it feels like it's been coming out for like two years not the film's fault mm-hmm. because of the pandemic, but also it just seems like Disney at this point, like they really don't care about their film, like filmmaker driven films. Like obviously Ridley Scott's uh, last duel tanked. And I, I feel like they might put a little bit more firepower behind French dispatch, but it also kind of feels like they're just like throwing it out in the middle of, or at the end of October, um, you know, just kind of willy nilly without much care. Uh, consideration. Well, I don't know. Cause I think there's two things to consider. First of all, this is the time of year where, putting out this this is going to be counter programming you know this is going to be for a crowd it's not you know they, they don't really want to see the big budget blockbuster stuff they might want to see something a little bit more adult like this so that's that's fair enough it's the it's the right season for it people want to watch prestige films at the moment because sure. it's the fall I just, but yeah I, i'll say real quick the other thing is that Wes Anderson typically doesn't release films around this time of year. He likes to release films way in earlier the in the year, yeah. uh, summer, spring, sometimes like right after award season, specifically because he doesn't want to compete with other award season films. And he's like, if my movie is really good. It's going to be celebrated and rewarded no matter when I put it out. Like mm-hmm. he's, I think he's said that a few times. He did that with Grand Budapest Hotel. I Love Dogs yeah. was like a March movie. Yeah. So I think it's kind of interesting that French Dispatch, I think originally was going to be something like that, but then because of Cannes and, and how the pandemic affected it, it's coming out now. Yeah, I just feel like if Disney was more confident in it, they would just give this like a Thanksgiving Day week and release, either in New York and LA or wide. I just feel like that would have been the play. And putting it at the end of October just kind of feels a bit hash. Uh, I disagree there because I think that this isn't this is the kind of movie where you don't want this coming out when kids are out of school because this is this is a movie that adults need to get a sitter for because they can't take their kids to see it. They know kids won't like it. So if you release it around Thanksgiving, like parent, like who would watch it? Because like, well, we got kids. Like, how are we gonna, you know, like I can't get a sitter on Black Friday. <laughs> you know sure. what I mean? I, I think mean, that's the calculation. Yeah, because I think aren't they releasing Enchanto on Thanksgiving? That seems like it's the- holding Encanto. Sorry, Encanto. Sorry, uh, I I know that's like their their big Thanksgiving Day play, yeah. which makes a lot more sense. It's like their Moana release for this year. It looks pretty cool. I'm excited to see it. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, looks alright. That's French. That's French Dispatch, though. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see how it performs uh, as the as the weeks go by. 
Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to subscribe to Cinemaholics on your favorite podcast app of choice or find us on YouTube. See you all next time.